Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Aubrey Marcus, founder of On It and New York Times bestselling author of Own the Day, Own Your Life. If you want some help learning how to build your own connections, grow your inner circle, listen to my man, Travis Chappell at the Build Your Network podcast. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Yo, what is up? Welcome back to another interview on the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I am really, really excited that you're tuning in because I had the pleasure of flying out a couple weeks ago um, out to Austin to interview Aubrey Marcus. Aubrey is the founder and CEO of Onnit, a lifestyle brand based on a holistic health philosophy that he calls total human optimization. Onnit is an Inc. 500 company and an industry leader with products optimizing millions of lives, including many top professional athletes all around the world. He also hosts the Aubrey Marcus podcast, which now has over 10 million downloads in iTunes. Uh, he was a regular contributor to outlets like Entrepreneur, Forbes, The Doctors, and even the Joe Rogan Experience. Um, and he also is a best-selling author of the book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, which is a fantastic read we talk about in the interview. Uh, just a few of the things that we cover are how instrumental his relationship with Joe Rogan was in starting on it. Um, we talk about trends 
transitioning from a, a monogamous relationship into an open relationship with his fiance Whitney. And we talk about where he recommends starting on your journey of self-discovery. We are all over the place, but there's so much value packed into this episode, and I cannot wait to share it with you. But really quick before we jump into that, as most of you know, my network has absolutely exploded in the last year and a half. And when people ask me how I've been able to do it, the number one reason I give them is my podcast. Um, talking with people like Aubrey and all the other amazing guests that I've had on the show would be just completely impossible if I did not have a platform to use for it. So I highly recommend starting a show, but if you do it, do it the right way. Do what I did. Hire a coach that's been there, done that, walk you through the process. And yes, that, that is something that I am doing. In the last few months, I've helped a few people get their shows off the ground, and I'd love to do the same for you. If any of this resonates with you in the least, please head over to buildyournetwork.co slash coaching to apply. I only accept a couple people at a time because I don't want anyone lost in the process. It's pretty time intensive on my part. So I only will be helping out 10 people before I shut it down for good. So if this is something that intrigues you in the least, head over to buildyournetwork.co slash coaching to apply and uh, we'll set up a call and chat soon. And now here is my talk with Aubrey Marcus. Aubrey Marcus, welcome to the show, man. Thanks Thank a lot you, brother. for taking the time. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful Austin. So this was a very interesting interview for me to prepare for because I usually have like a definite direction that I want to take an interview. But when I started thinking about the different things that I wanted to talk to you about, it just, the list seemed to keep going on and on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it was just first of all, thinking about the book and then health and then the open relationship, psychedelic, spirituality, on it, podcasting. There's so many different realms. So, And um, weirdly, they're all related, <laughs> yeah. but maybe we'll find that place at that the end works. of the day. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the goal here, right? So, mm -hmm. so let's build some context first, and then we'll kind of just jump in and see how many things we can cover in the period of time that we have. So um, first of all, can you tell us what it was like growing up? for Aubrey Marcus, like eight-year-old Aubrey, bring us back to that point, household, parents. Well, I always felt really blessed because my parents split when I was two. And a lot of people might think, oh, well, that's too bad. That must've been hard. No, it wasn't. It was freaking awesome because mm -hmm. I had my mother who is a professional tennis player, my stepfather who was a SWAT team squad leader and one of the most physically masculine expressions of a human I could ever imagine. My father was a commodities trader and my stepmother was a naturopathic doctor. So I got this wide gamut of experience and personalities and mentorship um, along with my grandmother and a lot of other key people. And I really think, you know, that's shaped some of my own understanding, having four parents instead of two, hmm. really a deeper understanding of how it kind of does take a tribe to optimally raise a young human with the kind of fluidity and mentorship that's available from so many different people. So I always felt blessed for that. And I also knew that I had, I had something that I knew I wanted to give to the world. And I didn't know exactly what that was. And I explored a million things, but I knew that I had a message, an idea, uh, something that I wanted to deliver. You know, I think as I grew older, that developed into more frustration because I couldn't find it and I didn't know what it was and I would beat myself up. Oh, I should have figured it out by now, but I didn't. So I was always exploring, looking and, and ultimately figuring out that I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't mm -hmm. ready yet to really deliver that message because my message is so holistic. It is talking about so many different ways to learn through resistance, through 
information through practice through experience and uh and you know jumping <laughs> to what i said at the beginning that is the common thread between all of these things all of these are ways to optimize yourself physically mentally emotionally and spiritually so this episode of the show is brought to you by indeed we are driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all it's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Do you think that will have a big play into how you raise a family in the future? This is something that's on my mind a lot because my wife, who's sitting right over here, for those of you listening, um, is about 17 weeks pregnant right now. And obviously not something that I researched a ton in the last couple of years is like how to parent or whatever. So do you think that that way that you were Just raised... how to make babies. That's all that you've <laughs> yeah, been researching yeah. repeatedly. Correct, correct. <clears throat> yeah, I'm well-versed well in the how to make them. <laughs> Not yeah. very well-versed in the how to, how to actually bring them through to fruition. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely shaped my understanding. And I mm -hmm. think if you look back historically and anthropologically, I mean, the raising a child with two parents was not the norm, but it's become the norm and the expectation. And I think obviously that's superior to one parent, you know, one parent, that's a real challenging go. It's giving one aspect, one expression of polarity, one expression of knowledge and understanding and habits. And so, so much respect and appreciation for those doing it with one and those doing it with two. And I think as I look at it, you know, my focus is building a community that can have all of those extended people in the soul family helping to contribute to the raising of the child because while i had step parents which is one construct which exists trying to and that was kind of accidental that was just because my parents couldn't work it out they wouldn't like intentionally saying hey we'll have more mentors mm -hmm. for young aubrey and we'll split up and that right, will right. help us so it was just that didn't work and they found somebody else but i think intentionally creating a bigger network of people to raise a kid i think that would be 
should I choose to go down that path and devote that amount of energy, kind of focus that amount of energy on one young soul or two young souls? Uh, certainly I'll be calling in for all the help I can get. So one or two, huh? Not uh, six or seven. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's so much of my message that's about, you know, one to many and about how I'm already in communication with so many different people. And even this mastermind that I'm starting soon, the Fit for Service Mastermind, that's going to be a fellowship of people where I'm devoting so much of my energy and attention to elevating the possibility, potentiality, consciousness of a wide group of people through actual physical interaction and through my mentorship. And I do feel that people at an advanced level of consciousness in just age, just growing up and just being able to have the brain handle that, it's one of the best ways that I can contribute to the good of all. So balancing that with, you know, the developmental stages, which I know I can also contribute to, but just knowing where I can give my medicine the most effectively. And if I had seven kids, pretty much that's all going to young adults. Right, right. And it's going to take away from what I'm able to give to grown adults of all shapes, sorts, sizes. So you bring up uh, your mastermind. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Just details <clears throat> on when it starts, how long it's going to be, what's what's included in that? Yeah. I think really the idea is that human beings are happy and happiest when they're acting with purpose, when they know their why, and they're delivering something greater than themselves, mm -hmm. you know, and they're, and they're acting on behalf of something greater than their own greed or their own ego or their own personal benefit. But in order to do that, to really act in service of others, you have to be fit for service. So it always starts at home. And so the program is really focusing on how to be personally fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, and spiritually fit. Some of that I cover in the book, but this is taking it way beyond where the book is going because it's going to have direct interaction, all the coaches that I can bring and in those actual physical interactions when we meet at these different summits around the country and going to Tulum as well. So in some ways around the world, um, but it's just taking a group of people through that whole process, a process that I've learned through experience and information and mentorship and trial and error with the goal being to get people in a place where they're in the most capable spot to deliver their medicine to the people they want. Maybe that's just the small group of people around them, their family, or maybe it's a bigger group, or maybe it's the world at large. You know, there's so many different people from people with thousand person companies to people just starting out on their own. So it's going to be a real wide gamut, but the common thread is getting yourself in a position where you have enough abundance of time, energy, resource, mindset, emotional control, you know, spiritual centering, physical energy, you know, mental processing that you can really give your gift to the world in the most effective way. Is that a limited amount of people? I assume you got to go somewhere to apply. You, you go, yeah, you go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. Okay. And um, there's an application there and we're reviewing the applications and making sure that, you know, kind of your mindset is right to join this fellowship and uh, mm. be of the most good. Yeah, so, and when does that start? That starts January 1st. Okay. There's gonna be enrollment, so there's four different segments. It's gonna go physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And if you miss the January 1st cutoff, then you have to start, well, you don't have to, but you have the opportunity, the invitation to start at the mentally fit and go mental, emotional, gotcha. spiritual, physical, because it's all gonna be cyclical. Okay. And uh, for those people who wanna stay in longer, we'll just evolve and advance all of those different characteristics, because. As we all know, there's always more to learn. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So this, uh, Aubrey, is the Build Your Network podcast. We talk a lot about networking, connections, relationships. 
Um, you have built some relationships with awesome people, and it seems like there are also awesome relationships. And so uh, I listened to an interview that you did. I think it was with um, Tim Ferriss, where you talked about starting on it and the Alpha Brain product and getting to know Joe Rogan and that whole relationship. Um, so I kind of want to dive into that, but first to kind of get this conversation headed in this direction, this is, the com- this is the question that I ask everybody that comes on the show, which is, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Who you know or what you know, what is more important? I think probably the most important thing is knowing yourself. Mm. And if you know yourself, it becomes pretty easy to know other people and develop those relationships. And also it's probably the most important what that you can know. And because to really know yourself is one of the most challenging things Mm. and really understand and be in full awareness of all of those subconscious, unconscious motivations, those greeds that are pulling you one way, those needs for validation that are pulling you another way, all because all of that applies universally. And then I think utilizing all of the tools available to help you figure out who you are and what you are and how you serve, that's probably the most crucial element. And then everything else kind of unfolds from there. So Hmm. that's how I would modify that question. Yeah, so follow-up question to that. If, if assuming that you've done the work, the internal work to really know yourself and you have a, a mission, you know, your purpose or why, if you were going to choose one thing in 2019, let's say to spend a lot of time on building quality relationships or getting much better at your craft, which of those two would you spend more time on? Again, it's, uh, the quality relationships come from having quality that you can offer as value and then quality that you can exchange the ability to give and see and like receive in return. Like that is the basis of a relationship. It's an exchange. And that exchange could be through laughter, through smiles, through compassion, through understanding, through information. So the relationship, because when you actually have that and that's intrinsic, you don't have to like work hard on the relationship the relationships can flourish and Mm. reach a level of depth fast you know like i have friends who are very close friends and very important contacts Mm. and we can go a long time without seeing each other but within the first few minutes of seeing each other again or reigniting a call we're already into the deep waters Mm. you know we're already like we see each other deeply we know what each other stand for we've been through deep conversations and in some cases challenging rituals or hard workouts or through the difficult and the celebratory times of life so it becomes easier to maintain and hold those relationships without having to invest a bunch of time so really again it's if you're in the right state to be able to give and receive with that person then it's not about making that a focus that's just going to happen naturally you're going to attract people who are ready to engage with that type of relationship that's going to be of mutual benefit and reciprocity. Hmm. So with this particular story that I mentioned earlier, how, how did that relationship come about? Like would it would it be ridiculous to say that a lot of a lot of the success that on it has seen has been through you being open-minded to like building a real relationship with somebody who had influence to be able to market the product? Or would you say that like the the quality of the product really did it 
by itself. And then you like really brought those relationships in afterwards. In this case, my relationship with Joe Rogan was a friendship. And this was a two-year friendship that didn't have a particular purpose. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of co-created and dreamed into this idea of creating Alpha Brain together. And no doubt, you know, he was the single most influential factor in the success of Alpha Brain. But could it have could it have worked if the product wasn't awesome and it wouldn't stand up to the clinical testing rigor that it subsequently went through with the Boston Center for Memory, like two double-blind clinical tests? The product had to be that good. Yeah. So I had to know the information. I had to re- lean on the research, lean on the resources, and test it and prove it against placebo. So the product had to be good. But shit, I mean, how many people would have heard about it if it wasn't for Joe at the start? And mm-hmm. how many other influencers who have been attracted... You know, he was that catalyst. He was that initial wave of momentum. You know, Alpha Brain was the surfboard that allowed it to go. Otherwise, I would have just been chundered and smashed on the coral somewhere. And not only would that relationship probably have struggled and soured if I said, hey, I can do this and I couldn't do that, then yeah, maybe we still would have been like casual friends and whatever, see him in a comedy show. But that actually strengthened it uh, because we were able to combine that relationship with something that was really of quality. Yeah. Did you, um, when you, when you first started getting to know him was like, how how did you even come across that like path or opportunity to find a lot of people, good people just don't find themselves in opportunities often. Um, meaning like they're maybe not in the right vehicle or they, they just don't get those things thrown in front of them and they just struggle with figuring out how to, how to put themselves in those types of opportunities. How have you found throughout your career, you be able to put yourself in those opportunities well i've done enough of my own work and research and learning and the knowing of myself that i present an interesting individual for someone to connect with Mm -hmm. like i have something to offer and it doesn't matter if i'm sitting across the table here from tim kennedy and he's talking about the crazy challenging things and he's one of the top special forces ufc mma number four in the world middleweight like one of the most incredible human beings in that expression that i've ever known and put himself through as much physical hardship and as much stressful as many stressful situations as any human being but i can sit across from him and say this is what happened in this you know sweat lodge ritual this is what happened in this ayahuasca ritual this is what happened in this particular training circumstance or this challenge and we can even though we come from wildly disparate backgrounds we can look at each other and acknowledge the learning and the understanding that we've gained from our own particular path Hmm. and look at each other and say, Hey brother, I see you. And it's, it's that thing that I think was able to create the friendship with, with Joe. It was like, I had been on a vision quest since I was, I was at that point, like 30, 31, somewhere around there, 30, I think, or maybe even 29, but I'd been on a vision. I went on a vision quest when I was 18 and I'd been on this personal deep challenging introspective journey of experiential spirituality and psychedelics and understanding and philosophy and i was a philosophy major in school and and on that path rigorously for so long that when we met for a 30-minute coffee it turned into a four-hour dinner right Mm -hmm. because there was enough to exchange yeah so i think again it kind of goes back to that same thing these opportunities may be there and you have to like actively create them like i had to actively create the circumstances that would give me a chance to sit with coffee with joe because i went to his comedy shows Mm. and we'd like say what's up after the show but in that context in that relationship 
nothing that I'm going to say when he has me as fan. Hey, here's fan. I got 300 of them. Right. You know, there's no, there's there really isn't an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And like when someone like runs into me and is like, hey, I got this new CBD thing. Check it out. I'm like, yeah, cool. See you later. You know, but like, <laughs> yeah. that's not a really an opportunity. Right. Like really an opportunity is developing a degree of mastery in something, in, in mastery in yourself and offering that relationship. And then from there, seeing what other things will develop. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because that's kind of one of the directions I was looking at taking this conversation. Um, I talk a lot about networking and connections, relationships, all that kind of stuff. And something that a lot of people say around this topic is be interested, not interesting, right? Like get to know the other person. But what I've found over doing 200 plus interviews on the show now is that a lot of the people who it seems that networking comes naturally to are interesting people, like what you were just saying, right? So you were interested but you were also very interesting. There's a lot of things that you had to talk about that would just like pique somebody's interest or capture somebody's attention. Just like saying the stuff that you just said isn't just normal conversation, you know, vision quests and experiential ayahuasca journey. Like that's not part of normal conversation. It, it kind of is now, but in, back in, in 2000, it, it, well, yeah, back in exactly. 2010, it wasn't. And know? kind of is in your world too, right? right? Like right. me coming from, so quick context here too, and especially for people listening as well. Um, I come from like a really religious background. So grew up um, in a Baptist church. We were church three days a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday dancing? night. Dancing? Oh, no dancing. Oh, we get not that kind of Baptist dancing. church. Yeah, yeah, no, we get demerits. No, literally. We get like 15 demerits, I think, for dancing. Demerits. Yeah. So uh, in high school and college. Uh-huh. Um, so very ultra-religious. So like all of this stuff was totally brand new to me. Like I sure. graduated college on the same campus that I graduated kindergarten from. Oh, wow. So from the time I was three years old as like just going to church. I started going to the school on the same campus, then the college on the same campus. So my entire world was in this bubble from the time that I was three till probably three, four years ago. It's the time I was about 22, 23. And so me coming into this, like my first exposure to any of this kind of talk about any of the stuff that you were just talking about was actually you. I think it was actually just listening to an interview that you did on Tim Ferriss's show um, and I found the networking part really interesting. And then I started following your stuff and everything else was really interesting. And then I came out to your mastermind that you threw probably two, three months ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, kind of jumped into that full force. <laughs> and, uh, it, yeah, it's been very, very interesting to me to kind of, to kind of start into this, but I say that just and to I say And I gave that, you no demerits for the ecstatic dancing. <laughs> yeah, no demerits. Yeah. The ecstatic dancing was an experience. Yeah. yeah it, it honestly was, was, it was difficult for me because I come from a background of no dancing or you get right. demerits. So I have like no rhythm, right? So like, I don't I know how to dance do. at all. I you bet know? you do. It's <laughs> uh, in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. Trying to, trying to make its way out, I guess. I don't know, but so it was an experience, but uh, I, I say that just to say that, you know, in in your world, it might seem normal now to talk about that kind of stuff, but I appreciate you and the work that you're doing because for people like me, it was not normal at all. And prior to six months ago, I had no idea what ayahuasca even was, you know? Um, and so kind of going along the same route, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this because I find this whole topic really fascinating just because of the way that I, that I, that I grew up. I find a direct correlation between somebody's first spiritual experience and what they believe for the rest of their life, which is why most people never really leave the religion or mindset, whatever you want to call it, that they grew up in. Um, So how do we challenge our belief systems 
with like a healthy amount of skepticism without completely abandoning the spiritual side of our being? Well, I think there's uh, one of the challenges with religion is religion has been placed above having authentic spiritual experience. Mm. And some people can get that in an absolutely religious context where they get a genuine spiritual mystical experience, that feeling of union with God or union with the divine or union with all life itself, however you want to feel it. It's this transcendent experience. Mm. That I wouldn't say is universal amongst all people in all religions. I think the religiosity of it has kind of made it just a, a program. It's more ceremony than substance. And I think if you're in that situation and it's fear and expectation and habit and momentum that's keeping you in those patterns, I encourage you either through your faith or outside of your faith to try and find and feel and know that direct contact with divinity. Because I think that is, I think, and that divinity can be felt with within as well as it can be felt without. Like mm. that could be tapping into your own higher truth and understanding and knowledge and love and consciousness, or it can be felt externally as something that you might call God. Mm. But either way, the direct experience of it is essential. And that direct experience will inform all the language, all of the understandings, all of the constructs and paradigms, but the direct experience is primary. Hmm. So you said that you were on a spiritual experiential journey from the time that you were 18. Was that something that you consciously decided or was this something that was kind of in your past growing up? Like how did, how did all that play? Well, my that? father was trying to find ways out of the own, his own prisons of his mind, his okay. own traps and the own ways that this is your biological father, biological too. father. Yeah. And he stumbled upon the psychedelic medicine, you know, ritual path. Mm. And he just offered that to me as a rite of passage when I finished and graduated high school. Mm. And uh, I was somewhat terrified, but decided like, all right, let's go. And I was actually at the time kind of a pretty devout atheist, mm. um, you know, basically like um, really focused on what science had to say and materialist reductionist kind of approach of yeah. humanity because i i'd been exposed to religions and i didn't find any kind of affinity or understanding with them as a philosophy that i felt was held true enough for me to to follow it and it wasn't giving me any direct spiritual experience so i was like all right screw it i'll try but i went into this experience an atheist and felt my body evaporate in what could only be called my consciousness or maybe my spirit or maybe my soul, depends on the language and vocabulary you want to use, emerge. And I was like, oh, shit. I had a lot of things wrong about my atheist viewpoint. Like there is something more to life than just the cells in our body. You know, there's something that's animating this life form. There's something behind it that's connected to all things. And when I had that direct experience, that direct knowing and I was like, well, now I got to start looking and I got to start looking inside myself. I got to look through more experiences like this. And I got to start looking in other philosophies, religions, experiences for more information about what I actually felt myself. Yeah. Because that, that's the whole thing, right? Is like, nobody can tell you that you didn't experience what you knew that you experienced. Right? right. So like other people might be able to say or talk into that conversation, right? And say, well, there isn't a God or there is a God or it's actually his name is Allah or whatever you want to say. But Bottom line, nobody can go back and take that experience away from you. So once you had that inside of you, you immediately were just like, there's something more to this. I want to know what that is. Yeah. 
would you recommend people start at the same place that you started? No. Some people might. And in the right set and set, I had a, um, just an amazing set and setting. I had a beautiful shaman in the mountains and it was a beautiful setting. And she had a long history and tradition of offering these ceremonies. And it was really an ideal setting for that initial vision quest. Mm. That's hard to find. That's hard to replicate that exact thing. It is a path. And if that's available to you and if that's calling to you, or even if you want to take the precautions and read someone like Jim, you know, Fadiman's psychedelic explorer's guide, or, you know, do some of the more medical protocols that are being offered by Hefter, USONA and maps for some of the psychedelics that are available now that are ultimately going to be approved by the FDA, hopefully 2021, somewhere around there, there's going to be opportunities, but really, I think it starts with some other experiential practice. And that would probably be meditation, flotation, ecstatic dance, holotropic breathing or shamanic breathing or some other experience that helps alter your state of consciousness without the use of any type of plant, psychedelic or medicine. And would ayahuasca be the first one that you would start with? Nope. <laughs> I mean, it could be. It could be, but it's not like what I would recommend. In general, though, yeah. It's yeah, it's not be. it's not like I would be like, yeah, definitely. It might be it might be the absolute right thing. Yeah. You know, it, it very well might. Again, it depends on what where you are, whether you're called to it, whether it's the right set and setting, but if anybody's going to do ayahuasca, but they've never been in a float tank, a sensory deprivation tank, or they've never been meditating and they've never done yoga and they've never done ecstatic dance and they've never done shamanic breathing and be like, I don't know, man. I mean, I'd knock some of those out first. Mm. You know, I'd like get used to the easy ways to get into altered states of consciousness and actually start to work through some of that stuff. Mm. Or even just practicing working through the resistance that comes naturally in life, like taking a cold bath. Like... Wim Hof is famous for saying cold is an emotion. And it really is. You know, I have mm-hmm. a I have an ice bath at home and it's 38 degrees and damn, that's cold. <laughs> right. But when I get out every single time, I feel freaking amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So recognizing that when I'm going in, all right, there's a physical sensation that's uncomfortable, but really what that is, it's an emotion. It's an emotion of mm-hmm. fear and protection that's kind of coming up. So the practice of working through that emotional resistance and surrendering to the thing that I know is of benefit to me, that's helpful too. You can you do that with heat as well. You know, a sweat lodge is the ceremonial version, but spending time where you, you know, just safely, but push it a little bit in a sauna or a steam room or a hot bath hmm. and, and practice some of those things first. Because, you know, ayahuasca is a trial by fire. Sometimes it's really chill and sometimes it's going to throw you up against your greatest, deepest, darkest fear. And you have to have some training to help you that you can rely on. A breath work practice, a movement practice, a, a practice of working through resistance, of tackling the kind of issues that might come up in your mind. That's going to be really helpful. Do you find that personality plays into it at all? For sure. I mean, you are, your personality is an expression of the collected set of ideas, personal history, beliefs, everything that you hold and your natural tendencies towards aversion or towards projection or towards escapism or towards addiction or towards whatever, whatever these things are, these are all going to be things that you have to confront. So, you know, personality, there's some light elements of it, like you're the way you smile and the jokes you make and the, you know, Mm. kind of things, but there's also deeper versions. Like what is, what is your safe place? What do you do when 
things are hard? What do you do when you're afraid? Do you get angry and the anger creates distance? Are you, is, that, is that your escape? Or do you shut down and block out the rest of the world and armor up? Are you an armor? Are you like an armadillo? Or are you like a wolverine? Are you like, like what, is the, what is your nature? Hmm. And like really asking questions about who you are because that stuff's going to come up. And then being able to track that, like awareness of those patterns is really crucial. So we've touched on discovering who you are and that kind of a thing a few times now in this conversation. If that concept to somebody listening is just completely foreign, where do they start? I think, again, it's um, you have to get still and you have to be curious and like ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Ask yourself why you're, if you're stressed out, it's not like, I think a lot of the paradigm is like, oh, you're stressed and anxious. Oh, take this pill. You know, we'll fix that. Yeah. But at some point you got to ask yourself why, mm. you know, like I always, I have this theory that it's not marijuana that makes you paranoid and anxious. It's that it reveals your natural paranoia and anxiousness. that's already there. Right. Mm. So like we have this kind of idea that, oh, it's this thing that's making me this way. But really, if you get curious, then you might understand, well, actually, I have this desire to please everyone and it's putting constant pressure on myself and I'm trying to adulterate and manipulate my speech to get people to like me because I'm worried that people don't like me and I'm worried that I'm not enough and I'm worried that I need love externally mm. when really I should be looking for it internally. So you have to get curious, inquisitive, and quiet. And I think those practices that I've kept mentioning, meditation, yoga, flotation, dance, all of these things are ways where you can get your mind still, flow state, breathing, get your mind still enough to start asking the right questions. And we talked a little bit about the, the ice bath thing to kind of be one of those practices. What are some of the actual benefits? I know a lot of people that are proponents of them, um, but don't really know like why they do it. Just kind of like, oh, I heard it's good. So I do yeah. it. What, what are a couple of the reasons? Well, you can feel it. You can feel the state shift. And that's, I think, one of the, one of the important things to say is like this is, you, we can go into actually what's happening and we can do that a little bit. It's going to raise your norepinephrine, which is a hormone, which is going to be going to drop your natural cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone. So it's going to reduce stress in the body. It's going to, cortisol is also linked to your inflammation response. It's going to, and so is norepinephrine. It's going to lower your inflammation. It's going to lower the stress that's in your body but you're going to feel it. You're going to feel a different way. And plus you're just going to have that courage and the knowing that, oh, wow, I can push myself through those hard things. I'm not going to always make the comfortable choice. And so it's a combination of those actual physical adaptations um, and, you know, cold shock proteins. And there's a whole thing like, you know, Dr. Rhonda Patrick would do a better job going through all that. And mm -hmm. I list a bunch of those actually in chapter two of my book on the day as well. Mm -hmm. But really like you got to feel it. You got to feel it and then come out and know like, oh, wow, I'm a different person now. Yeah. I think the, <clears throat> excuse me, this, the last thing that you said there was what resonated with me the most. So when I, when I read your book, which by the way, awesome job on that. Thank um, you. Definitely the most holistic book that I've ever read in my life. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you're listening to this, I highly recommend picking up a copy. The, when I first read that part about the, the cold stuff, and read what exactly was happening in my body. Okay, all that's good and fine, but you don't—I I, didn't—you don't, you don't feel all those things individually happening, right? All you feel is I'm really cold right now, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I want to not be cold anymore. 
Um, so I think the biggest benefit that I've gotten from, and I, I do, I don't do the submerged ice bath thing, but I do the cold showers now. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I shower, it's pretty much cold, just all the way cold. Awesome. And uh, when I jump in the shower, the most empowering part of it is when I get out and I shut the shower off and I realize that like, I just did something really difficult. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it's that difficult. Oh, I took a cold shower. Okay, whatever. Why are you doing that? Like that's the first reaction that people have, right? But when I get out, it's like a, this empowering feeling of I've already done something that's hard on a to-do list and now it sets me forward for the rest of the day. The people who actually do cold showers and do cold baths, they're not the ones who are saying, oh yeah, no big deal. That's not hard. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> everybody who's actually done it knows that it's hard. Yeah. You know, like once you've experienced it, you know it's hard. It's easy to throw stones and say, oh, whatever, that doesn't matter. It's trivial. Okay, do it. (laughs) Do it. Do it when you're in Chicago or do it when you're in New York. Do it when it's somewhere real cold. Oh my gosh, I was literally just in New York a couple weeks ago. Actually, I was at Entrepreneur Live um, Mm -hmm. that you were just speaking there and uh, jumped in the shower there and turned on the water. Different thing. Oh my goodness. It was very, very cold. Yeah, it's a different thing. (laughs) And even in Vegas, like in the summertime, when I started doing it, it was like the first time I did it was at my house in Vegas, right? And it was in the summertime, pipes were warm, all that kind of stuff. So even the coldest setting in my shower was like, okay, this isn't too bad. And then I went to the gym and for whatever reason, the gym water was way colder. And it was like, oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> this, this is a different game now. Yeah. And then in New York, it was even more different. But now it's in Vegas and it's cold in Vegas now. Yeah. Well, cold as it gets in Vegas. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a very challenging way to start the day. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other things you can do at the beginning of your day to really get you going? Well, I think there's three things that you want to focus on in the morning to set your day up right. You're going to want to expose your body to some light. I think that's one of the key things because that's going to start your circadian rhythm. And that's the signal to the entire body that, oh, it's daytime. It's time to wake up. And in places where it's cloudy, having some kind of light source that you can use to expose your body to light. There's these cool light-emitting earbuds that you can get, or there's some lights that you can get. There's different things, but exposing your body to as much light as possible, sunlight is best, is going to set your circadian rhythm. Getting some kind of movement is another signal that, okay, body, it's time to time to be awake. It's time to move from the melatonin production of the evening to the other waking hormone states that your body needs to get to. And, but probably the very first thing you need to do is hydrate because you lose over a pound of water overnight. So rehydrating with ideally some quality spring water with a sprinkle of sea salt, you know, one to three grams of sea salt, which is going to provide the electrolytes and those kind of micronutrient minerals that your body needs to fully rehydrate, to stock the shelves, so to speak, so that you can have all of the nutrients available for all the complex chemical reactions that keep us in an optimal state. That's three of the most important things you can do upon waking up. What about going to sleep? Going to sleep. You know, that's uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. There's a lot of tips and tactics around that. Obviously, again, talking about melatonin production, the more light you're exposed to at night, the harder it's going to be for your body to produce melatonin. You can get supplemental melatonin. We offer it in a spray. If you're just going to know that you're a late night computer guy, you can also wear blue blocking glasses because it's actually the blue light that emits that. And you can actually get apps for your computer like Flux or things like that. So light is one thing. Anything that's really stressful, you're going to want to pare down and kind of wind down to Mm -hmm. connection with your lover or connection with yourself or reading a book or kind of create that kind of rounded edge into sleep. But I think the most important sleep advice that I can give is to not consider that sleep has to be 
in one one point only. Like it's only at night. And I think having this more biphasal nap approach to sleep and understanding that getting a 30-minute nap or getting an hour and a half nap is as important as getting that extra bit of overnight sleep. And naps have been shown over and over in clinical research to be even more beneficial as far as cognitive performance and a lot of markers than additional overnight sleep. So allowing the body to rest when the body is signaling rest, not just slamming more coffee down the system and fighting through and trying your best to get to sleep. So just taking a longer term approach and looking at how much sleep you're getting in a week rather than how much sleep you're getting in every single night. That was probably my favorite part of the book. Yeah, <laughs> gave me an excuse right? to take a nap. Every yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. If you know me, I'm a I'm definitely a sleeper. I like my sleep, but I like the part in the book that you talk about where you talk about how don't let anybody f- make you feel guilty for sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that was like me my entire life. Right? It's like everybody. Oh, you're taking a nap again. Oh, do you ever do anything? You're always mm-hmm. sleeping. It's just like, man, that's such such music to my ears to hear that taking a nap is actually pretty good for you. It's, it's crucial. Yeah. <laughs> but we have this myth that, you know, your productivity is linked to the amount of time that you spend working. Hmm. It's bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's like how much energy and capacity and creativity and passion can you put into the work product? Because I don't work necessarily more than anybody, even though I have all these things going on. But when I do work, I'm able to summon occasionally a superhuman amount of productivity in a short amount of time, which requires ample rest in order for me to do that. You know, otherwise I would be working all the time. It'd be 16 hour days over and over and over again, because I'd just be kind of distracted and fidgeting my way through and stimulating. And, but when it's time to work, I can produce. And that's because I, you know, mind the balance of getting my body into that truly optimal state so that the magic can happen. Yeah, you have a lot of stuff going on. You do a great job, it seems like, from where I sit of balancing all of it. Um, But one thing that I really respect about you specifically is you, to me, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And sometimes when I sit down and have these conversations with people, I get this sense of like trying too much or it comes across as arrogance to me sometimes. And having confidence is one of the most important things to be successful at all, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, to, to be confident in your ability to do something. Um, but I think that a lot of people let that cross over into arrogance too much. Can you kind of talk about the balance between the two of those and how you are as confident as you are, but then totally down to earth and really, really humble as well? <laughs> I just get my ass kicked a lot. You know, like that's, you can't be arrogant. Arrogant is, arrogant is really an insecurity. It's mm-hmm. projecting something that you're not actually in belief that you possess or that, you, you know, so it's covering for something that you don't know about yourself. But when you're actually mm-hmm. putting yourself into the places where you're getting tested, whether that's psychedelic medicine or open relationship or a savage workout or the coldest ice bath you can or the hottest sweat lodge safely, of course, be mindful of that. Don't push that too hard. Obviously, there's bad cases in both of those examples, but putting yourself in situations where you are testing yourself and opening your voice and being vulnerable to tens of thousands of people and all and speaking in front of that, whatever, whatever your moment of this takes courage, then it's hard to be arrogant because you get your ass kicked a lot. You know, and I think 
that's really the that's really the key. The key is that okay, you can think what you want about me. I know what I've done, and it's and I know and I really respect what everybody else has done because we've all had our own journeys and our own challenges. Yeah. But I don't need to try to be anything. I'm just I know what I've been through, and I'm very honest about. Yeah, sometimes it's worked out great. And sometimes it has not worked out great. Sometimes it's been just a giant nut kick fiesta <laughs> where I'm like one of those Shaolin monks that's just getting kicked in the nuts over and over again, except I don't have that placid look on my face. I'm rolling around on the ground and kicking and What's screaming like? and praying yeah. to God, you know, like, please help me. What is yeah. going on? So like you've been through that enough time, like showing up arrogant would be just foolish. Yeah, yeah. You brought up the open relationship part. Do you think that that's been a huge contributor to your inner feeling of like confidence in yourself it'd be like i'd be like asking like you're really strong do you think weightlifting has helped (laughs) you get strong you know like this is this is the resistance training this is weightlifting for your emotional mastery for your mental mastery for your insecurity for your need for validation for all of these things that you think that you know about yourself, you don't until you feel the pressure of having the one that you love, your special one, your girl, that thing that you've put all of this meaning and specialness into, sleeping with somebody else and falling in love with them. Now you got to deal with some shit. Yeah. Now you have to really confront all of these things. And I'm not saying this is for everybody, just like I'm saying I'm you know loading 500 on a squat rack or like half Thor Bjornsson deadlifting a thousand pounds. Yeah, that'll fucking snap your back like <laughs> don't just jump into this like don't just jump yeah. into a seven cup ayahuasca session either you know yeah. like be mindful open relationship is extremely challenging but taken in the context of resistance training for the psyche there's been nothing that's been more valuable because there's been nothing that's been harder mm. you know like people people talk about this year and i got in this gnarly car accident you know split my face in half and Huh. whatever had several hundred sutures and i was in the hot what it was a freak accident right and i look back on 2018 and i was like oh yeah that was the easy challenge of the year hmm. because the hard challenges came from the challenges of my heart that came from the open relationship hmm. and that's where the real value i certainly learned some things from the accident and i certainly count that as a blessing but you know the physical pain and the physical healing it's actually kind of easy compared to the psychic emotional healing that I've had to apply to myself to get through and learn and progress through the open relationship challenge. Do you remember what the catalyst was for that? Because you guys were in a traditional relationship, right? Mm -hmm. First, and then you broke up and then changed it. Like, how how did that come about? Was it for like the purpose of growth? I wish I wish I could say I knew that well enough. It was for the it was for the purpose of just exploration, mm-hmm. really, and like understanding that fundamentally I had a desire to meet and exchange energy and experience other people. And sure, sexuality was a component of that, but also just that intimacy that you can get with someone that you're on that level of relationship with. That was something that I craved. And in the traditional monogamous container, I would always find myself being somewhat like, well, I've already kind of expressed all of my magic, everything that I have to really give. And there's more, but you know, when you're with somebody new, then there's this rapid like exchange of information that you're receiving and information that you're providing. And so I really craved that experience, mm-hmm. that yeah. ability to 
get in close with somebody and show them my own vulnerability. But I also had, look, I mean, if we're looking at it, you know, I had massive need for validation and there's, you can get in these patterns where you can suck up all of the validation that someone has to give you because they're yours and you own them and they're already yours and you've already dried that up. It's like when you got that one Bentley in the garage and that Bentley's not making you feel like you're, you're you're kicking ass again, you go buy a Rolls Royce. And it's like, that makes you feel. So I had some dark expressions that drove me to this. So I don't want to think like this was all noble and all because it wasn't you <laughs> yeah. know but in hindsight you can see what it actually provided like i had no idea really then what i was in for you know i thought like oh psychologically philosophically i understand this you know mm-hmm. love isn't in scarcity it's in abundance and it shouldn't be possessive and this could be cool mm-hmm. but i didn't realize but it couldn't have prepared you for the I first couldn't prepare time me because i wasn't yeah. aware of how much i needed the validation of other people how much i needed to feel like the man from somebody else through somebody else's eyes or through their mirror and their reflection. I didn't know that yet until I went through this and until my stable source of validation, that thing that I'd sucked up and assimilated into my own body so I could stand and be like, look at me. I got Whitney Miller, Miss United States. She's my girl, blah, blah, blah. Until that was threatened. It's like, well, she's my girl but she's also a lot of other people's girl too so uh, i guess i can't use that as my sole validation and my understanding of what makes me special i gotta find that elsewhere i gotta find that intrinsically i gotta know who i am and know that that's enough and know that that's worthy without anybody else externally but i didn't know that shit then yeah but i know it now and that's part of what i talk about with this open thing it's a shitty way to just have sex with more people because it's going to take you through hell. Mm. Be like, yeah, you can get toast, but you just have to hold a piece of bread through a burning house. <laughs> like that's that. If you want sex and you're going through open relationship, like that's that's the analogy. I think everybody always looks at it for their benefit, right? They're like, oh, I, I'm going to go have sex with all yeah. those other people. Yeah. And then the first time it happens the other way, you're like, wait a second. That's <laughs> just looking at the let's, toast. Let's reevaluate. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you tell a story that I think illustrates your point perfectly. I think this is a good thing to kind of close on here which is um, how you said Whitney was having a relationship with a guy that was like in MMA or something, mm-hmm. and it really challenged you internally. Can you tell that story really quickly? Every person she's been with has challenged me internally. <laughs> like there's not been like, I don't think I've had like a fucking easy course because whatever it is. All right, so the MMA, I always did pride myself on my ability to fight, mm-hmm. you know, and my, that expression of, yeah. you know, the athlete male, you. Al- yeah. Yeah, male alpha mm-hmm. dominance in that way. I've trained martial arts since I was four years old. And I recognize that there was some people who could, were better fighters than me, yeah, but of course. not people who were better fighters than me. They were having sex with my girl, right? you know? So right. like I immediately went to the gym, like, oh, that's what she likes. She and, likes and a good fighter. Especially like in that form too, because that's like the most primal exactly. activity yeah, men can engage in. Here we it's are. You're having sex with my girl, and you could kick my ass <laughs> if I said anything about it to you. So exactly. great. I'm in a great position here. Love that. But you know, conversely, when there was also some pride that I had, like, oh wow, Whitney's with an MMA champion. Like, look at her go. Look, I'm with a great, you know. And yeah. then she's just with a really ordinary guy, just a normal, usual guy. And I'm like. How dare you go with the usual guy? Like yeah, yeah. that makes me feel less about myself. You know, like so every you just single, brought my average down. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> every single person that I've ever that she's ever been with has been hard. Yeah. And like it'll probably, you know, I'm getting better. And like, cause you learn different patterns. Like I learn, okay, MMA guy. All right. Well, I don't, 
need to go train MMA. That's not why she loves me. She loves me for the intrinsicness of me. Oh, she's with a rich guy. Oh, okay, I don't need to make more money. That's not why she's with me. You know, mm. even though you can take her on yachts and fly her in private, I can't do that yet. But that's okay. Mm. You know, oh, it's a normal guy. Cool. Enjoy the enjoy that. You know, like oh, it's with this person who has radical freedom and can just party and play all the time. Okay, cool. You know, like I can't do that, but enjoy that. Like. Yeah everything there's going to be some benefit that's the fucking point though yeah. you know the point is that you get to experience all this variety of different things so to get in my position where i can really be her teammate and be rooting for her and be like yeah cool i'm just like stoked that you get to experience all these different things and i hope that you're stoked that i get to experience all these different things yeah yeah well listen man we i could literally talk to you for a really long time there's so many different routes we could take this conversation but we are running out of time, so let's go ahead and move on to the last segment, something really quick called the random round. A few mm-hmm. quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Sure. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? <laughs> the thing is, I do. I have so many fucking professions. I'm a writer. I'm a podcaster. <laughs> I'm yeah. a CEO of Onnit. You pretty much attempt anything uh, you think would be fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, miss, I miss playing athletics hmm. where it mattered where yeah. people care, there's, there's people yeah. watching, there's stakes. So what that's the only thing that I really think that I still miss totally is like that, yeah. having- You play a lot of basketball. I right? played a lot of basketball. I miss yeah. like having fans and having people care about my stats and like yeah. having people care about the team win and having a team that we're communally going for in a physical expression of a sport. Mm-hmm. So that would be the only thing I would miss. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be? Jesus. And why? I think that he called in a level of consciousness that was hadn't been seen or expressed before to that degree. And I don't know who he is, but my understanding is that he called in a level of consciousness mm-hmm. that was far beyond the level of consciousness that was available at the time and claimed the divinity that we all hold inside ourselves. But I think the understanding of the man has been mythified. Mm-hmm. And I think so talking to him about man, tell me what you did in the desert. Like, yeah. how is that? Like, what are the demons you were wrestling with? And the 40 days like, of fasting, yeah. how'd that go? Yeah. How was the first time you had sex, man? Yeah. Like, like what? Like asking, like, and recognizing that this idea of this came out from this immaculate conception and his mom didn't even had sex and he didn't have sex. And it was, I mean, I just can't buy that. You know, I can buy that he claimed a level of consciousness and divinity, you know, that was beyond anything that virtually anyone has ever achieved. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, but, but what was a man like, you know, and who yeah. was that man like? And that would unequivocally be that first conversation. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Books, I think, are probably the primary way. I like listening to podcasts that are with an author that's summarizing a book. And then I'll, mm-hmm. then I'll can kind of, or like diving into a book, because then I can explore that further. Yeah. But books have been my primary way to get content. And I do it audio and I do it old school and I do it uh, on the Kindle. What's what's one that you would recommend the most often, you think? It really depends on what someone's working on. You know, like there's, if you're really trying to, if you're trying to birth some creative enterprise, I would recommend The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. If you're trying to understand the nature of love and self-love, it would be Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. If you're trying to understand consciousness and emotional balance, maybe it's Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. If you're trying to understand the truth of who you are, maybe it's The Book of Truth by Paul Selig. 
you know, so there's different things depending on what stage somebody is in. And yeah. there's a whole gamut of recommendations. I actually have a whole book review section on my blog at aubreymarks.com. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Wake up, hydrate, sea salt, water. Sometimes I throw in some of the honored electrolytes in there as well that has some extra magnesium. Move around in some way, shape, or form. A couple push-ups, a little movement, a little yoga, sometimes a swim, depending on the weather. Get some sunlight. That's that. And then if I'm showering in the morning, turning that nozzle cold, taking those deep breaths. You know, when I can put all of those things together and then adding in a low-carb, high-fat, high-protein breakfast, whether that's a shake that I have here at Onnit or whether that's something I cook, if I start the day off like that, I'm feeling good for the rest of the day. What is your go-to pump-up song? You know, that's funny because like Spotify has kind of changed the game for me because I used to have like iTunes playlists, Mm -hmm. you know, but now I kind of just like hit the turned up playlist on Spotify (laughs) or like hit some other different things. Um, So I don't know if I have like a pump-up song. I think there's a lot of pump-up songs that, you know, I'm kind of finding and exploring and then I'll just wear them out and, yeah. you know, kind of allow that to come. But music is so good and so available now. It's just so kind true. of a different thing. What is something that you are not very good at? Life? I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> fuck, man. Uh, so many things. Like, what What am I good at? I don't, I don't know, man. I get my ass kicked all the time. I don't What am I not very good at? So mine is I'm a horrible laundry folder. And yeah, my, I suck at that. Can I suck at that, that too? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we yeah. go. There's a good one. I'm not. I'm not very good at that. Do you <laughs> ever do the she rolling? Always do you ever do the rolling thing when you're packing? When I pack? Yeah, yeah you mm-hmm. kind of roll it up. Yeah, that, that's helpful. It seems to be more intuitive. Way for me. easier, especially yeah. the ones with collars and buttons and stuff. Yeah. You have to button them all the way because <laughs> like, I don't do button them all the way that? on the hand. How do the sleeves go? Yeah, like, what, what am I doing with this? <laughs> that's like way beyond me I, i'm not i'm not very mechanical either like i okay, have a yeah, tesla well yeah. t- unless i'm wrecking it into a, <laughs> into a fucking guardrail somewhere but i i mean I'm, I'm not very mechanical if someone asked me to like do the most basic thing with a car yeah i'd be like, like this, is the, this is the oil right <laughs> like can you yeah. give me a jump like I, uh, how high like what, uh, yeah. do you want, what do you want like, me i would to love to but would, you're gonna have to help yeah. me out with some details yeah, yeah. so you're saying i have cables in my car <laughs> Can you hook it up? What, do I rev it? Like, what the fuck do yeah. you want me to do? I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I oh, love it. Uh, as we get everything wrapped up here, man, what is one place online where we can find you the most? Uh, social is a great place to look for me. At Aubrey Marcus on Instagram is probably my most active, personally curated space okay. where I have my ideas, thoughts, clips of my podcast, and then the Aubrey Marcus podcast. That's um, I put a lot into that as well. So if you're following me on Instagram and listening to the podcast, then uh, you'll get to know me well. And of course, at Onnit, that's all the best tools that I've been able to curate uh, for human optimization. Perfect. Love it. If you want to check out more of Aubrey's stuff, definitely go give him a follow on Instagram and subscribe to his podcast. Lots and lots of great guests um, that are on there. They're actually coming up pretty soon. So highly recommend checking that out. Aubrey, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. Had a blast chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely, brother. That was great. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show because they're literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is something that you are interested in at all, then hit me up and let's chat to see if you'd be a good fit for my mastermind, Build Your Network Dynasty. Just head over to buildyournetwork.co slash dynasty to fill out an application and we'll talk soon. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.